Scott, can you hear me? Yeah, good morning. Good, good, morning, good evening for you, but good morning for me. I want to thank you for something, uh, nothing major, just uh, um, appreciative as I invite the speakers. Can you hear me? Yeah, I'm, I'm on pins and needles. Yeah, I just want to thank you for, I know that we haven't met in person despite all this time because I'm pretty introverted and you've got a family to take care of, so we don't really go out to events much. So I do want to thank you that you are going to Singapore, which I'm avoiding to go and I'm trying not to go. And uh, through while going to Singapore, you're stopping by Dubai to change flights and you did not consider maybe taking a few hours in between and seeing me quickly for a coffee as you continue on your way to Singapore. Uh, I think it's- As I've informed you, personally and not in a public forum the tickets are not yet booked Rand, do you think we should get him to singapore really are we gonna uh, mario is mario's an introvert bro. he likes to, to just sit he likes to hour. sit in his castle in in dubai and and not uh, not not leave the castle bro he he and and ran is a is a pervert he likes to go into my room and see what supplements i'm taking you call that a room, bro. It's, it's a, it's a, you can't call that a room. There's nothing there. It's just a mattress on the floor. It's like those migrant workers that, that come from, I don't know where they come from. And then they land up like, like living 18 of them in one room and then like on a mattress. Oh, the only thing in your room was a mattress and water bottles. Scariest thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> the supplements that we sat there dissecting it gets very thirsty it gets very thirsty <laughs> because yeah, at least Rand visited me uh, whereas Scott uh, despite him blocking me times, bro. I visited your free time yeah I know I know you, you took the time to visit I played me. golf I did play golf right outside uh, your apartment building at night in February yeah uh, yeah it does if you actually looked into my um, I've moved now I'm in a different place for security purposes but if if you whack that in February if you looked into the apartment because um, I have the lights on every night and no joke I didn't know that for months until Gorov told me you can actually see me clearly from the golf course. No joke. You put your phone, you zoom in, you can actually see me at night. Probably at daytime too, according to Gorov. But I've moved since, so now I don't think it's possible. Well, it, then if that works in reverse, you should get out a telescope and find the 47 balls that I've oh, yeah. you, you my in the middle of the night. You know about my telescope, do you? No, but I'm not surprised. <laughs> I have a telescope for bird watching because I used to – look, man, we all deal with the bear market in different ways. I watch birds. You could do whatever you do, avoiding hurricanes. Um, oh, you have internet uh, today, so I'm grateful for that, by the way. Yeah, we, we didn't. I didn't expect to be connected today. It's we, we just got very lucky. I mean, we have like 50-mile-an-hour winds outside right now. We've got some sideways trees, but we really missed the worst of it. So uh, pretty pretty happy to – be able to say that and pretty sad for anyone who did get directly hit. It's a pretty massive storm, really, really bad. I'm glad you're okay. Um, did you want to, what I wanted to try to do guys today is maybe give a, so the team does a quick recap. I'm going to try reading the quick recap for the audience. And then I'm not sure if it's going to sound really boring. It's going to sound interesting. And then we dig into it. Do you want to give it a shot? Yeah, go for it. All right. So it's a lot of, lot of points. I'm actually not sure if it's going to sound cool reading so many points, but it could be an interesting recap. So we have cryptos pumped after the Grayscale announcement yesterday. Uh, we've got a bunch of ETF approval deadlines in the next few days. will probably be delayed. Um, the discount window for, for GBTC narrowed to 18% of NAV. Uh, Davidson called for Gensler to get fired again. 
Um, you've got the licenses, and Rand, you've covered that in your show, the X obtaining license for crypto payments. I think it's pretty, pretty big news. Others think it's a bit of a nothing burger, and I think, Rand, you're on the nothing burger side of that argument. I think. I could be wrong. We've got smaller news, a lot of news that's been buried with the grayscale news. You've got Coinbase has partnered with X um, to launch the hiring feature. Again, it just shows X getting deeper and deeper into crypto. Opening trips jumped to a billion dollars. Um, and then funding goes negative. $100 million of shorts are liquidated. SEC has filed a secret motion against Binance, which we'll dig into a bit. And I, th I think, Rand, you've covered that in your show as well. That's actually really interesting because SEC doesn't usually file secret motions. So there's usually two reasons from what I understand. One is worries about the, a certain witness. Second is not to interfere with the DOJ investigation. These are, you know, this pure spe speculation by John Reed Stark, who will try to get on the show today. And we've got four more, five more, you know, small bits of news, the crypto banks, SIBA, uh, want approval to operate in Hong Kong. And uh, we've been talking a lot about the news, the bullish news from Hong Kong recently. Tether added Britannia as a banking partner. Talking about Tether, Nick Carter had an interview where he said, yeah, Tether won't last three years, but he's got a history of having We should Tether. get Nick Carter on the show to talk about that. Yeah, let me let me get Nick Carter. I'll, I'll put a note after I finish. They've got three, mo three more pieces of news. Um, we got cyber and say cyber is up 120%, say is up 40%. Both of them are, are Binance launchpad coins. Two more pieces of news. The BitBoy calls the abuse allegations diabolical. Um, I don't want to cover BitBoy too too much more. I think we've covered it enough, but I thought I'd mention that point here because he finally responded. And lastly, we've got the crypto fear and greed index is up to 49 out of 100. So we're in neutral territory now, better neutral territory than before. So that's a quick recap. But uh, guys, I'll, I'll give you the mic, you know, give a you know, dig deeper into the, the news of the day before we go to our panel. Uh, I think yeah, I mean, the obvious news, Greg, Rand. Go ahead. I think the one thing is around these uh, cyber pump and that. So they're all the, the one thing that we covered today on the show was we spoke about all these pumps have actually got one thing in common that they use DWF as a market maker. So DWF is this, this company that came out of nowhere and is now a massive investor slash market maker. And, and if you remember the YGG pump and if you remember the Dodo pump, like if you look at those pumps, like those were, in my opinion, coordinated pump and dumps. Uh, that happened. And they all share the same thing, that they've got DWF as a market maker. So, I mean, you know, you've got to be careful when you hear the name DWF. If you can get on the right side of it, you can maybe catch the pump, but it, inevitably these things these things then dump. So, um, I, think, I think that's the interesting thing here. Yeah, and I think uh, quickly, Mario, since obviously we have seemingly half the blockchain association here incredible with today, panel yeah amazing um i would really like to dig into the importance and meaning of the grayscale news we can talk about what it means for price action after i think that's a lot less interesting uh i think that you know i was talking to john deaton this morning and i think and Jake Travinsky from Blockchain Association wrote an amazing thread yesterday, sort of speaking to not only the fact that Grayscale won, but the manner in which they won, how aggressively the SEC was effectively dismissed uh, in this case from, from start to finish is really notable and very different than the previous actions we've, we've seen before. Kristen, uh, I know it's your first time here as CEO of the Blockchain Association. It's awesome to have you. Um, is that an accurate assessment? I mean, you guys are in Washington. How are you viewing this and does it change anything moving forward? Yeah, great. Hi, Scott. Good morning. Um, and thanks for having us all on today. Um, yeah, no, I think I think this uh, is a massive embarrassment for the SEC. Uh, it wasn't as if the, the court was considering a very sort of nuanced and complex 
policy okay. question. I found this on the web. Sometimes <laughs> Siri just talks to me. Sorry about that. Uh, it wasn't as if, uh, you know, the SEC was considering some complex policy question. This was really more simply a process question. And the SEC was so careless in their process and their analysis that we had three judges unanimously uh side with grayscale and um and, and call the sec wrong and and i think it's important to remember too that this isn't like this was three trump judges this was a trump judge an obama judge and a jimmy carter judge so it's it's very rare for something like this to happen and i think what it shows is that not just was you know grayscale right and the sec wrong in this instance but it really undermines the credibility of the sec on some of the more complex policy issues because we can't take their word and their analysis. Like it, it really harms what they're saying, which is good news for crypto because, you know, those of us who've spent time looking at these policies and, and the rules and the laws have a different interpretation than the SEC and Gary Gensler. And so um, I think it's a huge, huge loss for the SEC, huge win for the crypto industry. I think there's a, there's a notion sort of that, Gary Gensler didn't care if it was going to be legal or not because he thought that he could just you know, regulate by enforcement and there would never be pushback. And now we're seeing the pendulum swing pretty aggressively. Marissa, uh, Dan, I guess, Marissa, first, you're a lawyer with the Blockchain Association, right? So from a legal perspective, viewing this, do you think that this takes the wind out of the sails for future actions that the SEC might consider? Because I think we all understand the implications of it now, but we want to understand what it means for the future I think that it does. I think that Gary Gensler is going to be a lot less likely, obviously, to pursue things like this uh, unless he's very sure he's on the right side of the law before he does it. Hi, thanks so much for having me on. You guys can hear me, right? Yep, you're good. Okay, awesome. Um, I do tend to agree with you, and I'm hopeful that it does you know, force the SEC to question themselves a little bit more, especially since it takes a ton of resources to fight these uh, battles when, you know, the companies are fighting back against them. I also think it's like very important to recognize that this is a circuit court decision and the DC circuit nonetheless, which tends to be very deferential toward the agencies. So the fact that the DC circuit was you know, critical of the SEC and found that they couldn't coherently explain their reasons for the denial, I think just says a lot. Yeah. And I've heard that this is a higher court, obviously, than even the Ripple decision, correct? Right, exactly. So the circuit court is sort of right before the Supreme Court. So if uh, a case from the circuit court gets appealed, it would get appealed to the Supreme Court, which, of course, like sets the law of the land. In my conversation this morning, talking to John Deaton and I was talking to Dave Nodding, they, they both made the point that the outright aggressive sort of tack that the judges took with the SEC means it's very, very unlikely that the SEC would appeal this. And also, they made the point that if this was appealed or went to the Supreme Court in any way, shape or form, it actually could put the entire regulatory regime of all regulators in the United States at risk because it would be questioning, and I'm not a lawyer, but uh, basically something called Chevron, they discussed where you could literally see it go the wrong way and have the FDA removed or something like that, that basically this could have wide implications way beyond the SEC if they decided to advance it. So that's a risk that they probably wouldn't take. Right. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think the composition of the Supreme Court right now 
is one that is probably more likely to strike down Chevron, like out of any of the recent courts that we've seen. So I think they would have to think very, very long and hard uh, before appealing this to the Supreme Court. Uh, let me, uh, Scott, I want to mention one thing. I would love to get some thoughts from it. Um, anyone on the panel is the wording that was used. I know we've talked about this briefly yesterday, but it, it, I'll tell you exactly what the court said. The denial, denial of Grayscale's proposal was arbitrary and capricious because the commission failed to explain its different treatment of similar products, talking about the futures versus the spot. And I want to look at the definition of these two terms. Arbitrary, I think we all know, based on random choice or personal whim. And capricious is given to sudden and unaccountable changes of mood or behavior or changing according to no discernible rules, unpredictable. So this, these words, and again, I'm not, I'm not a lawyer and I've never studied cases and I, I, I get bored from this stuff, but the, 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 based on the people I've spoken to, it's very rare for courts to use terms like this. Can anyone break it down and how important this is? Because we had um, um, Ryan Selkis yesterday highlight this as well. The court literally said, go home, Gary, you're drunk. And they said it from the first day. If anyone watched and remembers that the first moment that this Grayscale case was even proposed, the judges were extremely dismissive and used very similar language. So it was a pretty pretty much a foregone conclusion. I, uh, but we should go to the lawyers, obviously, or Dan uh, Spooler. What do you think? I mean, do you think that, uh, what do you think that terminology means and why is that important? I'm happy to jump in here. Um, so basically, arbitrary and capricious is the standard by which a court analyzes an agency decision under the Administrative Procedures Act. And it essentially, like the question then becomes whether the agency's decision was reasonably and coherently explained. So when an agency does make a decision, they have to do it in like a reasonable manner. And if they're denying Grayscale's petition, they can't just say, you know, denied, they have to explain why they're de denying it. And here the court found that, that they didn't explain why they were denying it. So that's why it's arbitrary and capricious, but it is sort of like a term of art um, that, you know, courts use just to analyze whether an agency's decision was proper. Is it common for them to use terms like this? Yeah, unfortunately it is because I think like the plain reading of it is sort of hard to understand, but there are a lot of terms of art um, that courts tend to use and it gets like very specific when a court, like a court has to apply the standard that is set by, you know, the higher court in this case, like the Supreme Court. So arbitrary and capricious is like an indicator of that standard. Yeah, I'd love to, Scott. When you're done with your questions, and uh, to the to the to the blockchain association team, uh, I do want to go to to Gareth and Benjamin to kind of talk about the market's reaction and, and whether the sentiment we could say the sentiment is changing. You know, may make a comparison to the pump we saw with the regional banking collapse and the BlackRock filing for the for the ETF, and now we've got the Grayscale's win. So, so I wanted to make some comparisons, but I'll do that after you're done, Scott. Yeah, Dan, I just want to go to you because I'm still trying to dig into what this means moving forward. And I think, uh, obviously, that both um, Kristen and, and Marissa have given Marissa have given great answers there. But I mean, in your mind, you're you're so deep in the weeds. You and I talk about these things all the time. I mean, is it a surprise to you that the SEC is getting beaten so badly and so consistently? Because the notion before this was that the SEC effectively never loses. I mean, that that's what people believed. People don't sue the SEC because they live in fear. And it seems like they're just taking loss over loss, loss after loss against our industry. 
Yeah, you know, I, I, I think there is that perception, especially uh, just in the last you know, 24, 48 hours. Um, I'm down here at an event in Texas, and the industry folks that I'm speaking with um, are talking about it. Uh, and then some of the non-industry folks, like this group I'm with, a uh, com- compilation of a bunch of state treasurers and state financial officers that really aren't of Washington. But they, even they were asking me about the situation with, uh, with Gary Gensler and with the SEC. Uh, he's had a p- pretty bad August. I mean, it just hasn't really been a good summer for him at all. And uh, I think that's uh, there's a lot to be said with what happened. And I know Kristen and Marissa explained the legal side, but just the industry side, I think the tide's turning. And it'll, it remains to be seen how some of these other projects that are building ETFs um, see it and where it's going to go forward. Yeah, I'm wondering how much this increases the odds from our Bloomberg analysts. We should get them on here from Eric and James of the approval of an ETF. They were already pricing it at 65% before uh, that we would see a BlackRock ETF approval or any spot ETF approval, excuse me, in 2023. So those odds have got to have gone up dramatically. I mean, Kristen, what do you think? Do you think that this is really now a matter of uh, when and not if? Yeah, I mean, I, I do think this is a matter of when and not if. I mean, the, the, it's important to remember the court didn't you know, force the SEC to grant the application, but directed the SEC to go back and revisit the application. And so the SEC would have to come up with a different type of reasoning for denying the application. So essentially before they were saying there weren't enough protections against fraud and manipulation. And then that was the excuse they'd been using to deny ETF applications or spot ETF applications for the past 10 years. Um, what we've seen though is the, the SEC has approved future ETF applications and it's uh, you know arbitrary and capricious to grant those and uh, not the other ones, given that the markets for those two products are so closely correlated. So the SEC would have to come up with some sort of new reason to deny, um, you know, not just Grayscale, but the, you know, nearly dozen other pending applications that are out there. And so it'll be interesting to see. There's a bunch of deadlines um, by which we could see a decision. Some of those are as soon as next week, but they draw into to March of next year. Um, so I, I do think at some point uh, they're, they're going to grant it. Um, there are some different things they could do, like, you know, maybe pull the, the futures ETFs off the market. I, I don't think they're going to do that once it's out there. That would be... Um, that feels like you know, scorched earth at this yeah, point. Yeah, yeah, that, that would be incredibly... Exactly. That would be incredibly uh, destructive. So... Um, so yeah, I, I think it's inevitable. I mean, I think for kind of the reasons Marissa lined out, an appeal is very unlikely. So, um, so yeah, I think it's a question of when, uh, you know, not if, and 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 they may come in with some suggestions that you know allow them to sort of save face and improve some of these applications. But, um, but yeah, I, I, I like to think one is. I think know, the approval we'll will be viewed as their saving face. To be honest, I think they'll say, "Look." You know, we're doing the right thing. We're giving a spot ETF and then they can continue with their sort of aggressive yeah, or like, the rest of the industry. Yeah, exactly. Or, or they, right, they do it. They're like, we don't agree with it, but, you know, we feel our hands are tied and, you know, they, you know, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. But yeah, I, I think, I think we've got one, one coming pretty soon, which by the way is like, I think a huge win for investors and consumers, right? I mean, I think that there are different people that, for different reasons, want to have exposure to Bitcoin as part of a portfolio. And the way that those of us who are more native to crypto do it doesn't work for 
every single investor out there. And so I think, you know, having more choices and more options is, you know, a positive thing. And, um, um, and, you know, I think it, it's good for consumers. And there's a whole lot of disclosures that these, uh, you know, ETF applicants would have to provide as a part of that. And so, you know, I, th- I think it's, it's a positive development when it happens and what big of an effect it happens. That's, that's kind of, you know, either A, hard to predict and B, sort of beyond the scope of what we do. But, um, um, but yeah, I think, I think it's going to be a hugely positive development. Mario, before we move on to markets, which I know you want to do, I, I do want to focus on one more question here because we still have the two looming major SEC enforcement actions against Binance and against Coinbase. I think Binance we can separate into a different bucket, but the Ripple decision certainly helped Coinbase, right? Because the deeming of secondary sales is not unregistered securities. It really takes the wind once again out of the SEC's sales. Do you think there's a chance that we could see the Coinbase case completely dismissed or that Coinbase now is in a major position of power because now I think so no much ways. changes on that case. No ways. No ways. I mean, it's a, you know, the SEC's, this is a different, this is a completely different ruling to, to the Ripple case. Like the, 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 the merits of the case are completely different. There's no way that the SEC just abandons the case. Not a chance. Oh, I don't think they're going to abandon it. I'm saying that uh, potentially the judicial system could throw it out or that they basically have no case anymore. No, they do have a case. I mean, it probably needs to be argued. It probably needs to be argued. I think it's actually to our benefit for it to be argued. I mean, before we move on, Marissa, you're you're a lawyer. I mean, what do you think? I mean, that would be the best day ever if uh, it was just like dismissed right right away. And, you know, they got no leave to amend their, their complaint, which means that like basically another chance to plead the allegations. Courts rarely do that. Um, so I'm not sh- it's possible that some of it will be dismissed and then some of it won't be. But it's really hard to predict at this point. Although the same judge ruled very favorably in the Uniswap class action or the class action against Uniswap. Um, that decision came out yesterday. And there was some like helpful language that indicates the judge gets it, like gets the technology. And uh, I think that the analysis will be like very, very thoughtful. So I'm that made me a little hopeful. If that happens, Scott, that would be weird. Like, it, it's just hard to believe that just because of the XRP ruling, it, all the, the, the tokens on Coinbase would not be considered securities. Um, it, it's, for me, it just doesn't make sense. But then again, I have zero legal experience. Marisa, is it even a possibility before going to Alex and then getting to the price action? Is it even a possibility worth considering or it's extremely unlikely that it's not something worth discussing? I think that Coinbase's motion was one of the best investment contract arguments I've seen. So I think this case probably is more likely than any other case for the court to find that a digital asset in and of itself does not represent an investment contract. But I think, I mean, I love like hypothesizing about these legal theories, so I would consider it. But um you know, like, I, I don't, I can't say like how likely or unlikely it is, but I'm like hopeful that the, the court will give it like a very, very thoughtful review because I think Coinbase's argument was fantastic. 
Yeah, I, I want to get Alex's thoughts. And my next question, Alex, which I'll, I'll go to Benjamin right after you. And uh, just for the, we got some incredible names requesting to speak. So we'll be bringing you up as, as speakers as as, uh, as the show continues. I appreciate you come, uh, requesting to come up. Um, uh, Alex, what, what I really want to focus on is the sentiment in the market and how this news compares to previous reversals where we saw the, the BlackRock application, the regional banking collapse. You know, you talk about XRP to an extent. Um, I would love some comparisons there as well, and then we'll go to Benjamin because Benjamin was, um, you know, talking about um, one final bloodbath when it comes to altcoins and see if this is still uh, uh, possible or likely, uh, according to Benjamin. But Alex, the mic is yours. Well, I was surprised by how modest the reaction was, truthfully, at least in, in crypto assets. A lot of the equities ended up way outperforming, and particularly. Uh, Coinbase up 15%. Um, I, what I actually wanted to do is just sort of share some uh, a unique insight that I have because I'm in the Canadian market where we've actually had uh, Bitcoin ETFs for two and a half years. And I think a lot of people rightly are trying to understand, well, if an ETF does get approved and um, you know Grayscale is able to convert and others are able to launch, what is the impact actually going to be? So in the lead up to, um, so the, the Canadian experience is actually quite similar to the US experience. However, in one specific difference, um, a company called 3IQ was trying to get the OSC, which is our regulator, to approve a closed-end fund, which is not an ETF, but a trust that holds Bitcoin listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange. They were steadfastly refusing. Finally, finally, they appealed the commission, which is made up of you know people who have senior people in business and law who basically said categorically that there's no reason why 3IQ couldn't launch a trust product. And then that launched. Um, the reaction to the trust products was 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 good, but pretty muted. Um, we launched one in 2021 in January and uh, gathered like 180 million dollars. And so the whole co combined trust market was maybe 300 million dollars. But what we failed to anticipate was that once the trust got approved, the ETF wasn't far behind it, and a company called Purpose launched a Bitcoin ETF a few weeks later. Now, it was the most successful ETF launch in Canadian history. It raised a billion dollars in day one and got to two billion dollars pretty quickly. Now, if you're thinking, well, maybe that was just US and, and international buyers, the Canadian law says that only 50% of the net asset value of any mutual fund can be held by foreign holders at any point in time. So in other words, like up to a billion dollars of demand was coming from the Canadian market. As a general rule of thumb, the Canadian market, when it comes to almost anything, is about one twelfth to one like fifteenth the size. Um, when it comes to crypto, we're probably about the same in terms of adoption and interest and know-how. So, like this is all back of the envelope, but it's very reasonable, in my opinion, to assume that um, if and when an ETF does get approved. You're looking at, you know, 10 to 15 billion dollars of demand from those mainstream investors where they weren't investing before. So like to put that into context, that would be like doubling the nav of Grayscale's GPT. Huge. Right. So like that's and, and, think, and when you're talking think, about BlackRock, so, they're not just going to launch something into the market willy nilly and hope for the best. Right. They've got billions in AUM already lined up, assuming they get approval. Well, that's that's another important point. Like Purpose is a somewhat well-known company in Canada, but it's a rounding error compared to BlackRock. The amount of effort that, and, and interest and you know money that they're going to put into that launch. Another way to think about it is like the whole total trust market, the closed end fund market, which is roughly analogous to GBTC. And the lead up to the ETF approval in Canada was like $400 million. And the ETF market, you know, was five times or six times that size in a matter of months. So like, again, like what's the multiplier effect here from there being an ETF? Huge. Every advisor in the United States, like there's so many advisors, there's so much money. Yeah. Like they're more millionaires. 
California than there are all, all really quickly. Mario, we have actually something I saw the news in this breaking. Yeah, news. I was going to say the judge it. overseeing SEC versus Coinbase going back to us talking about Coinbase. The judge overseeing SEC versus Coinbase just dismissed a class action against Uniswap. Notice the language due to the protocols, decentralized nature, no identifiable defendant. The oh. fact that the current state of cryptocurrency regulation leaves them without recourse. This is the judge overseeing SEC versus Coinbase, throwing something out because they're saying that Uniswap is decentralized. You know, the U.S. court system, the U.S. court system is, is actually our savior here. The fact that the U.S. has a good court system is actually our savior here because the court system is keeping like some kind of sense of logic and, and, and uh, saneness in this whole thing. It's funny how just not long ago, Ryan, me and you were debating how, how uh, trustworthy is the, the U.S. judicial system. Um, and now we're seeing it in action. It's not as bad as people like to make it out to be. Um, but let's go to – so with this news, and Benjamin, I'd love to go to you. Uh, the, the news of Uniswap and the judges overseeing the Coinbase case, but more importantly, the Grayscale announcement. And Justin, as well, a few minutes ago, Watchaguru posted that ETS, according to, to – uh, uh, Bloomberg analysts, ETFs have now a 75% chance of being approved. I'm not sure if that's been priced in or not by the market, uh, but would love you to get your thoughts, Benjamin, since we last spoke. Sure. I mean, so I mean, there's definitely two markets here, right? There's Bitcoin and then there's also the altcoin market um, with, with regards to crypto. So uh, if you actually look at, at a lot of the altcoins, they've already completely retraced the gains that they had um, following the news yesterday. Obviously, Bitcoin has not. Uh, there, there are some similarities, I, I think, in some of the price action, at least at this point, following uh, sort of this Bitcoin news, as there was with XRP. I mean, obviously, Bitcoin and XRP are not, you know, they're not the same thing. And I don't expect the sort of the market to play out the same way. I think the bigger, I, I think the thing to sort of acknowledge is that all these things are, are huge wins for crypto, right? They're, they're really great things for crypto. And it, it is validation in my in my eyes, right, that crypto does have a future in the United States. Um, with that said, I you know it, it doesn't necessarily mean that all of our other issues are immediately solved. For instance, you know a very aggressive Federal Reserve, uh, interest rates above what most millennials have have ever seen, um, and you know, until until we turn those macro headwinds into tailwinds, you know, I, I still think there's going to be a liquidity issue in the cryptoverse. Uh, but but that doesn't mean that these are not are, are not big wins. And and it's sort of the same thing. Like in, in downturns, people don't really care about good news. In uptrends, people don't really care about bad news. It doesn't mean that it's not it's not a great win for crypto. It just I don't know. I don't necessarily think that it's going to change. Uh, the sort of the immediate liquidity issues that we face, just like, just like with what we saw with with XRP last month, um, or you know, two months ago, whenever it was, I think it was, was mid July, I believe. You know, I mean, sort of that that news came out, and and I know a, a lot of people were hopeful that it was going to completely change the game for altcoins, but you know, XRP completely retraced that entire move. And a lot of altcoins went on to and, drop thirty percent. Yeah, and Ben, so, I mean, Bitcoin retraced the entire BlackRock move before this news. Exactly. So it, it's not. I just want people to understand. Like, I'm long term really bullish on on crypto as an industry, and and you know the the news coming out of the courts are, are very optimistic. I think we have you know great times ahead uh, for crypto, but we we still have these macro headwinds, and the SEC case rulings are are not going to to change that. 
um, Scott, just to quickly to, um, to follow up on what I was saying earlier, um, I think that like when it comes to price action, there's sort of two things. One is like vibes and then the other is flows. So like with the vibes, like there's lots of headwinds. And I think that people are not yet comfortable with, you know, diving in back into the asset class for a lot of the reasons that have been well articulated here. But I do think if an actual ETF gets actually approved, there's actually a fun flow like factor here where there will be we like we have a reasonable sort of understanding that there's like money on the sidelines that cannot invest in this space for the simple reason that they don't have a, a, a tool that um they either understand or they're allowed to invest in like that's something that has what's a problem in canada like just like the canadian experience is, is not is indicative of what happened in the u.s what could happen in the u.s so i do think like the the decision it's not only that People will feel better about Bitcoin and therefore buy it, you know, and custody themselves or buy it through exchanges or what have you. It's that there will be like an actual fund flow that goes into into the space. So I think that actually could be the material catalyst. This ETF, I think, is is probably. But how under- much? So, but the question, the question is, Alex, to you, Benjamin, and, and Gareth, and anyone else, is how much Eric is there as well? How much of this has already been priced in? Like, if you if I read the other the other story that I read earlier, seventy five percent chance of a of an ETF getting approved. Has the market already priced this in, or is it pricing it in now? Because the market doesn't seem to be reacting as I would have thought. Well, I mean, look, the market is a you know um, a voting machine in the short term, a weighing machine in the, in the long term. Like I think for all of these other reasons, like the market may not be pricing it in properly because it's thinking about like those other factors which are weighing on the price more in the short term, right? So I just think we we don't totally. And l- just to be clear, like. The, the closed-end funds that launched in Canada launched in a bear market and gathered very little assets. Purpose also happened to launch when Bitcoin was going from 30 to 50 grand, right? So, like, the context of the market is also really important. So I'm not saying it's an apples-to-apples comparison. I'm simply saying that, like, we don't, you don't really know till you know with these kinds of things. Like, you know, how many are you know, really who want to own this thing? I ran an analysis uh, back, back then. I don't remember exactly the, the date of when, when I ran it, but I worked out... What percentage of the Canadian ETF market sits in the purpose ETF? Because I kind of said to myself, you know, let's look at a market where an ETF has been approved. And then let's look at the amount of money. Um, what percentage of the total ETF market um, actually flowed into the, the ETF? And I think, that, I think the number was 0.3%. And then what I did was I, I, I doubled it because I said, okay, if 0.3%, if, 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 you know, if the US approval is seen as a bit more of an endorsement, Plus, the U.S. is a more diverse um, ETF market. And I said, like, look, even if you double the triplet, you're talking about 0.6 or 0.9% of a, I think it's a $10 trillion market in the United States. And that's kind of like what the inflows, that's how I did like a couple of models to show what the inflows would be into, into an ETF. But I don't know, I don't know if, it, if, if, if you've ever done an exercise like that. Quickly, really quick. Also, just seeing from our uh, ETF experts that yesterday, and James Seyfart tweeted this, while everyone is was talking about GBTC, BITO, which you guys may remember was the first futures ETF, went wild with trading yesterday. 800 million yesterday, the second largest day it's had since the billion dollar day the first day. Astounding volume for the futures ETF just on the news of the Grayscale win here. Uh, Joshua, let's, let's break this down a bit further. Joshua, I'd love to get your thoughts on this before going to Gareth and and uh, Eric. And, and Mike, I'm glad you're there because I do want to dig into a bit later. I want to dig into the Binance story as well and the secret filing by the SEC. And by the way, Mike was uh, Mike and I talked about two weeks ago and he said, watch the end of August. Something big is going to happen. <laughs> so, ju- yes, just giving my thoughts on this, I, I think you have to look at kind of where you personally 
are investing or trading or speculating because a lot of people are looking at like short term day to day. And that's going to be almost all speculation of who's moving what, where. At the big picture, when I'm looking at things, I'm trying to look at this not as a single variable equation, meaning each thing that's happening plays into a larger overarching ecosystem. So you got to look both positively and negatively. And on a positive side, you're going to see if there is an ETF that comes out, you're going to allow institutional funds to finally have access to cryptocurrency. Because the reality is like pension funds will never uh, do a seed phrase. They're never going to do a multi-sig. It's just risk compounded on risk. You have the risk of the actual asset and then you have the risk of the security that like if you understand how these large institutional players work, that just almost can't happen from a liability standpoint, and you need a way to insure it. So if you have an ETF that has exposure, that's very good. You have to also realize that that may take two to three years to play out uh, in a full capacity. So just an announcement of it, it you're really playing more off of the speculative standpoint. Yeah, Josh, I'm just going to jump in just because your audio is really bad. I know you're out. So I'll go to Joshua Frank in the meantime as you fix your mic, Josh. Uh, uh, Joshua Frank, I uh, would like to get your thoughts and kind of moving again. The same question I asked earlier, especially with what Scott just mentioned with the $800 million into the futures ETF. Um, you know, the markets tend to be forward looking. So have they priced in um, the, the inflows that the approval would uh, bring to the markets? So I think that's a really difficult question, but I think there's a few things that we're not talking about here. I mean, I think there's things that we're, we're hitting on, but I think there's other things we should dive into more depth on. I think the first thing is the fact that there are still so many people stuck in that GBTC trade, they're going to want to get out, right? So as GBTC, you know, if, if GBCT converts into an ETF, I think you're going to see a, a huge amount of outflows, right? Uh, that That's naturally going to come, right? So yeah, maybe we do see X number of billions in inflows, but we're, that's going to be mat, met with some, you know, billions in, in redemptions that are going to happen as well, which could potentially put some pressure on the spot market, right? There's people that borrowed Bitcoin, uh, you know, and, and uh, you know, to enter into that GBTC's trade when it was trading at a, at a premium to NAV, and th there are still billions of dollars stuck into it, right? That's why BlockFi blew up. That's you know, part of the reasons that that three arrows and others blew up, and you know those positions have to be exited and unwound. But I will say, you know, le leading like you know in in twenty twenty one, in twenty twenty two, before the FTX collapse, a large number of the biggest hedge funds in the world, uh, growth equity firms, you know, VCs, even in some cases, I know of sovereign wealth funds that purchased crypto and were holding it on their balance sheet. Once FTX collapsed, a lot of those guys sold out of their positions. A lot of them were like, I want to get my money the hell off of Binance. I don't want to be on here. And a huge number of, uh, you know, a huge number of funds that like maybe were trading GP capital rather than LP capital just totally pulled out of crypto. Right. And so some of those guys have been like trading CME futures, but a lot of them are like absolutely petrified to touch spot at this point. They want nothing to do with, you know, a number of the different exchanges, custody or anything else. And I think there's going to be a huge amount. Of, 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 you know, whether or not that's only buying activity and not, you know, people just buying and selling and shorting, um, you know, the ETF once it's launched, there's, there's going to be a massive amount of interest from hedge funds to start trading this, which I think is going to create an incredibly liquid market. So I, I don't really know how priced in it, or is, it, it is or isn't. I, I don't think anybody knows what the inflows are, but I think there was going to be outflows. There's definitely going to be a lot more volume in crypto. Yeah, Peter Schiff literally tweeted that yesterday. And of course, because it came from the mouth of Peter Schiff, 
the uh, crypto industry absolutely freaked out, but it is a very, very fair point. I mean, GBTC, you can't get your, but have not been able to get your money out for how long now? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's been it's been underwater for, I mean, probably two years or something. I, I, I know people that have personally told me how ecstatic they are to finally be able to withdraw their money. And within don't the forget, year. don't forget that this GBTC discount was one of the biggest reasons for the entire crypto collapse. Because remember that funds like Three Arrows Capital, Celsius, BlockFi, all entered this GBTC trade where they were buying the GBTC GBTC shares at MAV, at, at the net asset value of the fund. They were then waiting six months for the issue and then selling them at a premium because the premium had gone on for so long. When the premium became a discount, all of these uh, uh, lenders actually started c- coming underwater. So let, let's not forget that actually GBTC was and, and this leveraged premium discount trade was one of the biggest reasons why, why we had this, the, the massive collapse last year. And ran Genesis had a major role in that. Yeah, the, I mean, Genesis had a major role. There was a massive conflict of interest. Uh, Celsius had a massive position. BlockFi's entire business model was that and i remember the only way they could offer yield literally was with that trade exactly and i I remember i remember taking on i remember taking on um zach at the time and saying i think this is like a it's you're taking a a massive chance but at that time it was a time that pump had just invested into into blockfi and blockfi were the blue-eyed boys of the industry and i i kept calling them out publicly on the show and i said i'm not going to work with them on my show because this is a huge risk and I mean, the risk, the risk materialized. And I mean, I actually predicted there was, there's actually one of the shows that I did where I actually predicted that BlockFi would land up at zero because of this trade. One of the few Go predictions ahead. that I actually made that actually happened. <laughs> hey man, if you're, if you're hitting 50, 50, you're yeah, doing I mean, better you than know, if you make, if you make, if you make like, like I do a daily show. So that means like, let's say I do 200 shows a year. And then let's say on each show I make like three predictions. So that means I make like 600 predictions a year. And that was like one of 600 that came true. And I think my, my, that's like my best, you know, it's, I've, I've only had one of 600 come true. It was that one. That's literally the uh, reversed statistics of BlackRock ETF approvals. They're like 575 for 576 with one miss. Go ahead, Gary. Yeah, exactly. Hey guys. So yeah, I just wanted to comment on the price action. Uh, yeah, and, and, and Garrett, if you can compare it as well, just the price action. I'm, I'm, like if you can compare it to the other news, we saw the the application, BlackRock's application, what happened to the to the market as well, and and the um, the, uh, the 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 Silicon Valley era and the banking collapse as well. Yeah, absolutely. So, so one of the things that that a lot of people and a, and a lot of retail investors just aren't quite understanding is that, you know, this news, the Ripple case win, the GBTC stuff, it's it's good, but it's fundamental kind of building blocks for crypto, right? And so, there's a difference between short term moves, which are more technically based, which technicals rely on human emotion, versus fundamental, which is the same as planting a seed in the ground, and it takes some time for it to kind of you know form and give you fruit from that tree. And so what we're seeing here is is there's this short-term kind of dis kind of gruntled nature in in crypto where people are getting disappointed, right? You had the highs at 30, almost 32,000 when the Ripple news came out. And then people watched and they were like, so sure that was going to be the next bull market. And we were going to be heading back to 65, 69,000. And instead we went down to 25,000, right? So now this news comes out yesterday and you get this immediate reaction, short covering, whatever it may be, but people are just honestly skeptical. And that creates the fact that this 28,000, 28, 5,000 level is resistance. And that's your short-term technical psychological 
psychological reason for why you're seeing this pullback. So so people are just kind of in this in this mode of, yeah, these are this is great news. You get the immediate reaction. But at the same time, the general mindset of crypto right now is still negative. And it's got to have this full fledged kind of turnaround before we start to break out from these levels. So uh, I think that was one of the key points there. And just going back to some of these previous news pieces. I still think Bitcoin long term is going way higher. Um, but you are seeing, again, like you were mentioning, Silicon Valley Bank failure. That was one of the key movers. So anything that creates kind of this uncertainty in the financial system, the fiat system, you are definitely seeing a a bigger move over towards the cryptocurrency markets. Yeah, Mario, get, Garrett, we, Garrett, Mario, really quick. Just it remains to be seen, of course, because those pumps, to be clear, were not in an hour, right? I mean, the grayscale, it moved very big in a very short period of time. It took a week, obviously, for that BlackRock news to set in for it to go up. But on the flip side of that, price went basically from 29 down below 25 in less than an hour. And we haven't even retraced that entire move. And there was no news for that move. Yeah, can I ask you, so Scott, can I ask you the retrace we're seeing now, because I don't look at charts, I don't care about charts, or at least I don't understand charts. Um, it, it, Gareth and Scott, if we look at retrace today that we saw, it's a very small retrace. How does that compare to the retraces we saw once uh, with the BlackRock news? Yeah, you can jump in on that. I mean, I would say that after a large move, you always get volume dropping, consolidation before a move up. That's exactly why you get bull pennants and bull flags. I'm not saying that's what it is. I'm not even looking at the chart at the moment, but you get the initial huge move, then things set in, and then you see what's really going to happen. You know what? Brand new. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to agree with Gareth here because I know that this is what he's thinking. You may not have said it, but it just feels like every bounce that we get has less and less steam. So it's like, you know, the bounce we got before took us up to 31,000. Then, you know, it's, it's uh, Arthur Hayes used an analogy once where he said, you'd like, it's like dropping a bouncy ball. And every time you drop the yep. bouncy ball, it bounces up just a little that's bit a less, a little bit less. Yeah, that's exactly how you get descending triangles. That's the pattern of descending triangles where you have equal lows and uh, and lower highs until you finally break yeah. down. And and that's the that's the psychological aspect where people keep getting burned, right? So every time you know you had the BlackRock news and price went up, and then you had the Ripple news and price went up, and then everyone that bought on that that factors, those factors, those bullish factors are now getting burned when we saw the dump out from twenty nine thousand down to twenty five. So there's this natural being of saying, "Oh my gosh, price went back to twenty eight thousand. I'm basically break even. Let me sell my Bitcoin and just say, wait a minute, let me reevaluate this market." And that's what happens in bear markets. Bear markets beat you down. It's not necessarily the price will just continue how to go much, down endlessly. How, how much good news do we need to turn a bear market into a bull market? I think it's just the four-year cycle. I mean, I don't know if Gareth is going to agree, but I think you can only do so much in the third year, which is 2015 and 2019 and 2023. We see this every single time. The news doesn't matter because we'll get the happening next year, and a year from now, price will be up double from here, and we'll all go, wow, we could have So uh, when, when what, what, what month is that? Approximately, well, I know it's, I mean, it's a we'll range. Get, you know, having will be April, May, and then it usually takes four to six months for it to kick in. So one year from now, things will be skyrocketing, and uh, we'll uh, regret spending all this time talking on spaces. You know, I would I would agree with you under normal circumstances, but you, you know what worries me about this halving event and this halving cycle is that it, I, I, I'm starting to feel like when Plan B was calling for the $100,000 Bitcoin and everybody was just counting on this like one Everybody's like putting yeah. their, their, all their predictions on one model. And I but it is a fundamental time, event. I mean, it's a fundamental event. But it's only a fundamental event that's occurred for, what, 12 years or 13? I mean, it's not like you can look back 100 years and be like, wow, that's a 100-year cycle type action. I, I, mean, I agree with that. You have limited price action. But, I mean, you're literally talking about cutting half of the new supply. 
And if demand it is simple, it's the, the, the beauty of this, this cycle is that you don't really have to annualize it. It's simple math. I mean, anyone who understands supply and demand, obviously, in economics, it should work that way as long as demand does not cut in half, which we rarely okay. see. And also then, I mean, Mike Alfred will be able to speak to this, but the effect it has on miners, how many miners have to kind of capitulate because their machines can't keep up once you have the halving and it becomes unprofitable. I mean, anything can so, obviously happen. There's a million things of news, but like... It's, so what you're, yeah, and what you're referring to, Scott, is like the fundamental side of it, which is correct. 100% dead on. What I would just propose is like, so a couple things. My history as a trader, 24 years trading. Every time I was like, if I buy this, it's a guaranteed win. I've always lost, right? So always. that's what makes me nervous about that, right? Is everyone, that's I go exactly, on Twitter and I'm like, I see people saying exactly that and it's like, oh, just buy. Yeah, and then, and then the other side could be is like, I mean, think about this, this possibility. What if we hit a recession next year, right, early in the year, and the stock market begins to tumble, right? We, we start to see inflation sticking around. Things are getting really nasty. And you see actually a collapse in Bitcoin around the halving. But then once that's over, then the fundamentals take over and take it up. So my point is that I, I do agree that with would Scott make sense. that it'll end up happening. Yeah. It's, just, it's just I could see them fooling everyone who's buying on this region. I agree. The halving itself is tends to be actually a sell the news event because people don't understand see the having they expect some magical thing to happen because hey it's the having it takes literally months for the effects of that on the actual fundamentals and supply demand dynamic dynamic and yes we could be in a recession yes the market could crash the flip side of that something i talked to caitlin long about last week she said if the having cycle does happen and we're in an election year, imagine that in September or October coming into an election in November, we're in a raging Bitcoin bull market, how that would affect the election, how much it would be talked about by each candidate who would then have to have a very bullish, uh, basically, position because so many people cared about it. I would also I when you look at this stuff, you, you got to be really careful because we're getting to a place of almost like the shoe shiner is giving uh, stock recommendations. It, where when you think about things being priced in, meaning that the money is already anticipated. Scott, Scott, hold on. I just, I love this, Josh. I'm gonna clip this. Team, please clip this. Uh, Scott is a is a shoe shiner giving uh, uh, crypto tips and recommendations. Thank you so much, Josh. How did he know I was literally shining shoes? <laughs> no, no, no. I'm just, but, but I'm just, I'm just saying this is a pretty widely uh, known event. So I mean, I think the having before had a material impact. Because even in the last cycle, but for people that were really paying attention to crypto, I don't think they realized that was coming. So this is the first time we're going to see a halving with a higher interest rate environment. So every This was the exact same narrative in 2019, I, just to be clear. I, was it, was is, there high interest rates in 2019? Everybody was we're, expecting the halving in 2019, we, the same thing. Did, did we uh, have high interest rates then? I'm not saying the environment's not the same if we're talking about sentiment. If we're making the point that nobody saw it coming and nobody was talking about the having, it was literally exactly the same. And the well, the entire the entire 2016 2017 bull market was during a period when interest rates were going up. Well, the interest rates in that market were like sub two percent, right? Like so, right now we're looking at five and a half percent. So look, and I could be wrong. I'm not, I'm not saying it's not going to happen, but I think the idea of just is saying like, well, it's going to happen. You look at the stock to flow ratios the amount of Bitcoin that's currently out versus the amount that's going to be kind of cut in half. I just think you want to be cautious with this because the everything, in my opinion, is going to depend very simply on whether Bitcoin gets deemed a risk on or a risk off asset. If in a higher interest rate environment, people see it kind of like as a substitute for digital gold, I think it'll be very, very positive. And you'll see like a big wave and you'll see a big upswing. 
if it gets deemed a risk on asset, typically in higher interest rate environments, that's a very challenging asset to sell. And so if you have a falling off of the stock market, I think that's where everything is going to hinge. It, do financial advisors, do these big funds come in and say, this is a flight to safety and this is a digital gold? Or do they come in and say, this is more like a tech stock, this is more like a, a high risk investment? And I think that's going to be the one point that hinges on everything, like no charts, no anything else. And again, this is just my opinion. I'm not a financial advisor, but I think if it's deemed safe in a high interest rate environment, big push for it. If it's deemed high variance, high risk, I think it's going to get sold off very aggressively. I think we should also consider, too, that, I mean, there, there's the halving that's going to happen next year. But something that also will probably happen next year at some point is, you know, going back to some form of QE. I, I don't know at what point it will occur, whether it'll be mid-year, whether it'll be late year. But one of the reasons why, like, the altcoin market has done so poorly for the last two years is because liquidity is leaving. And the way that we get that liquidity back is for the Fed to finally have to, uh, you know, flip over from QT to QE. And, and so, you know, if we do get a recession and liquidity returns courtesy of the Fed, then that could also go hand in hand with the halving and we get our typical bull market. Like the, the, the question that I have is what's more important, macro news, like the, the general liquidity market, the, the equities markets or ETF approvals or the halving news history, you know, people just anticipating it and becoming a self-fulfilling prophecy. Which one's which one is more likely to impact the market? Or get us out of the bear market. Yeah, Mike. yeah, Mario. Let me let me jump in here because I think this is a time horizon issue. Because if you're very focused on the short term, then you care about news flow. If you're focused on a point to point basis, you know, one, two, three, four years out, then you're focused more on the mathematical certainty of the having. Because we can argue all day long about what the impact of the having is, but it's kind of stupid, right? Because the having is very simple. There'll be 900 Bitcoin a day in this environment. And after mid-April, there'll be 450 a day. So no matter how distressed the miners are, they can't sell more than 450 a day. That's going to have an impact on the supply-demand balance. We just don't know the demand side of that equation. So it's really a time horizon issue. Um, I've been listening uh, you know, carefully to what everybody's been saying. Um, a couple of things I want to address real quick. One is this idea of liquidity being an issue. There's plenty of liquidity out there. In fact, these higher rates are actually sub providing a subsidy to the wealthiest savers in the U.S. The wealthy people have massive uh, stimmy checks coming every month now from these higher treasury rates. And that's why we're seeing all the hotels are full, all the restaurants are full, right? People are booking private jet jets on charters. Like everything is busy because there is not a liquidity uh, issue at all. And, and actually it, it's gonna get worse for the Fed um, if they break the treasury market. And as, as Ben was just saying, they have to revert to true QE. But I view QT right now as a form of closet uh, QE, but it's just QE for the rich. Um, in terms I, I of think the, there's a the different. Slide, uh, I mean, I, let me just finish my points. I haven't gotten to say anything yet. I've listened to you speak several times. So the, the other things I'd say is the ETF thing is much bigger than just short-term sentiment and flows. It literally legitimizes the entire Bitcoin space with institutional investors globally, custodians, miners, etc. It's going to have a massive uh, impact. And then the last thing I wanted to say is just about the DXY because I haven't heard anyone mention it, but it's literally the most important factor. At this very moment, if you look back to early July, not a lot of people are paying attention to this because it happened over the July 4th holiday, but Bitcoin and Bitcoin-related proxies literally took off. All the proxies, all the equities that are levered to Bitcoin took off for about 13 to 15 days um, in late June, early July, and it was entirely tethered to that DXY uh, fall that was happening. We're seeing that happen again now. DXY just flipped over a couple of days ago, and I said in a tweet three days ago, like, you should be watching this. No, not enough people are watching it. 
it turned over. And if it can continue to turn down here and then the dollar can continue to weaken, then it doesn't matter what the news flow is. It doesn't matter how much we argue in the space. Bitcoin and Bitcoin proxies are going to go up. And I'll just pause there. Yeah, and um, and I want to give the mic back to to Benjamin. Just one thing, Mike, and I want you to touch on the Binance news as well before going back to the to the market's reaction. Just before that, for anyone listening, um, we mentioned it earlier. We do have a partnership with one of the top exchanges. We'll be announcing who it is soon. So if you do have a project or you've got a fund with a bunch of portfolio companies, uh, do message us. Uh, it's a pretty close partnership, not just an affiliate partnership. It's a pretty close partnership with that exchange to help projects list there and uh, um, pretty good terms pretty quickly as well. So if you have a project, if you are a project or have a project in your portfolio, make sure to DM any of the three of us. Um, and if you want to come on the show as well or the Shark Tank show we're launching in September, so in a few weeks, um, if you want to pitch on there, uh, make sure you DM us too called, so you can come on the show. It's called Token Tycoons, bro. It's called, You called it Token Tycoons. It needs, me you and Scott do. have not... No, I didn't. I would never call something token tycoons. Do I look? I called geeky? it token tycoons. Like the no, event, exactly. Is that? Is yeah. Well, it's, uh, all right. Cool. Uh, that makes more sense now, Mister Avengers. Which means um, it's called token tycoons. So okay. It, true. I. I. Okay. It is called. So if you want to come on token tycoons, <laughs> make sure you hit us up. It's a, a Shark Tank show. It's going to be video form. Um. And if you want to come on this show, make sure you DM us as well. I didn't pin the emails. I probably should start doing that again as of tomorrow. Um. So after. So I want to continue back with you, Mike. Mike, can you tell us more about the buy? news that we saw as well on the secret SEC filing because it kind of went under the rug. No one really talked about it. From what I understand, the SEC doesn't usually do this. Maybe David could cut, touch on this as well. The SEC doesn't usually do this unless there's a good reason to do so, either protecting a witness or potentially interfering with the DOJ investigation, which we, we can't confirm 100%. There is one, but uh, there's a lot of speculation around that. Mike, if you've got more clarity on that, would be great. I, I don't have specifically more clarity because I've read the same things you've read and John Reed Stark's tweet probably should have had 20,000 likes and a whole bunch of reposts, but it, it barely got any attention. Again, part of that is it was masked by this grayscale news and all the speculation about uh, Bitcoin ETFs. Um, but as I've said here for more than a year now, um, and it's been very unpopular and actually ran unfollowed me because of my negative Binance tweets, like Binance is a much riskier institution than the consensus view. You know, no, no, holds. no, 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 Mike, Mike, Mike. I unfollowed you because the stuff that you were posting was sensationalist garbage. That was And the reason why the reason why that why I said that is and I was very open about it. I said you're comparing Binance to FTX, except Binance doesn't have their token leveraged in the open market. Okay, you're you're getting into like esoteric details, but the reality is that everything it's that the only detail CZ, that matters. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Everything that CZ told you a year or two ago about how Binance works has been proven to be wrong now. That, that's it. Like, I don't really have to say anything else. Everybody can see it now. It doesn't even matter what the SEC and DOJ does. Like, the armor has been pierced. Everybody can see that he did actually loan out customer tokens. He did re-denominate tokens. He did have an under-collateralized stable coin, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and go on there are hundreds of things that, that Binance has done. And he lied to the public that whole no, time. No, and that's no, just, no, no, that's just true, the truth. It's just truth. It's not true. You're, you're sensationalizing it, Mr. Alfred. You're nope, sensationalizing not sensationalized it. at all. Sorry. I, I, I know you get a kick out of sensationalizing shit because it gives you likes and it gives you follows, but it's not true. But that applies, but man, that applies to all of I us. I don't, care, I don't care about likes or follows. I've never cared about social media. I didn't even use Twitter until a couple of years ago. Being on here was literally an accident, right? So I, unlike you, I'm not pursuing this for any particular purpose i don't monetize any of this in any sort of direct way yeah but, i only care about but, the truth i, mean, I care about the safety of the consumers mm. that use the binance application just like i cared about the safety of the people who use BlockFi, celsius ftx whatever you may, may have made one out of 600 calls right 
I made a lot of correct calls over the last two years on which one of these firms are, are actually risky. And so you can continue to poo-poo it and you can continue to say, CZ's a great guy and people aren't going to get screwed, but that's no, I'm just, not saying that. I'm, just I'm, false I'm, now. I'm not saying that. It's just false. I'm not saying that. I'm, I've no, you're you're I've throwing no up smoke screens. You're this sensational comment. It's a smoke screen. Sorry, buddy. Uh, look, I have no, I have no incentive to to back him. I just, I just want to make sure that the people get the facts, and that we don't, we don't, we don't sensationalize things which factually cannot be true. So, moving away from Binance, and, and obviously, we have to see what the DOJ investigation, um, what, what the, the 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 details are. But moving back to the discussion we're having now, David, I want to get your thoughts. Maybe if, if you have any comments on the Binance, on the SEC secret filing around Binance, and also back to the comments around the uh, grayscale decision. We haven't spoken since. Uh, it's been a while, David. Yeah, no, I apologize. I have to actually I have to work a little bit, but you know, I'm gonna back up Mike for one second because one of my favorite taglines in crypto since I've been here since 2012. Yesterday's crypto heroes, tomorrow's crypto felons. And we are seeing that in Binance. The, it's, first of all, it's not a secret filing. It's just a motion to seal a document, which happens all the time. Um, but you have to, it's a high threshold to seal a document. And look, I'm, I am a big believer that Binance has either been indicted uh, criminally through the DOJ and it's just a sealed indictment, or it's coming down quickly. Um, just from the stuff we've all read publicly, we know the government, the U.S. government is going after Binance. We've, I've said this from day one, the Binance lawsuit and the Coinbase lawsuit could not be more different. The Coinbase lawsuit is just a question of law, whether or not Coinbase is doing something right or wrong uh, legally by selling what they're selling. But they are not accusing Coinbase of anything criminally. They are not accusing Binance. They are not accusing Brian Armstrong of doing salacious things. Binance is a completely separate case. And we are going to find out soon enough what's going to happen with Binance. Um, I kind of, I kind of give it, I kind of do this. I believe that, and I'm with, I'm with Rand on this. I, uh, John Deaton and I were going back and forth on Twitter about this this morning and yesterday. I'm a terrible investor. I, I, if anyone follows me, I told them to sell, you know, Bitcoin, Tezos. I've been in Bitcoin again since 2012. I've made horrific investment advice and no one listens to me on this, on this uh, town hall for my investment thoughts. All I can say is what's going on with Binance is very different than what's going on with Coinbase. We can all cheer about the SEC getting clocked legally, but here's my warning. I am not part of the echo chamber. When God wants to punish you, he gives you exactly what you want. And right now, what's going on in the lawsuits with the SEC, we all think we're getting what we want by the SEC getting their, co their clocks cleaned. It's going to change. And when I, I kind of chuckle listening to everyone talk about QE, mining, the halving, and all these other things, the biggest thing in crypto next year is going to be the 2024 election. Because if the House goes Democrat, if the Senate gets a couple of more Democratic votes, if Elizabeth Warren gets more power, these are things that are going to impact the macro of crypto and the SEC, what they're doing. The SEC is going to get better if they are if the Democrats get more power. The SEC is not going to be offended by the fact that they lost the first couple of rounds. They're going to change their arguments. They're going to get better. The law is going to change. So the election is really where the focus, and I give, uh, I give Ryan uh, credit when he talks about this on Messiah Capital, he talks about this all the time. Who we support in the next election is going to have such a profound impact 
because the law is going to change. For years, I remember when Rand and I first met in like 2015, we were talking about like, you know, everyone was like, I was like, you know, I'm just waiting for, you know, regulatory clarity and regulatory clarity was like the big, like big discussion. But we're past that point now. The law, the the Ripple decision, the grayscale decision, the grayscale decision was so probably right and so probably wrong for what the government did. But moving forward, the question's got to be. What is going to happen in the election? Who's going to gain more power? Is the fight going to continue of people who hate crypto to try and make laws to stop the growth? Or are we going to see an embracing of it? I can't tell you, again, I'm a terrible prognosticator of which way it's going to go. But I think those are things that on the macro long-term level really matter. Because as the SEC starts piling up these losses, they're going to change their tactic by who's in control. And that's a real question for smarter people than me to answer. Hey, David, do you have a view on Gensler getting removed before the election versus a change up in leadership afterwards and any implications on crypto from there? And I would like to hear Dan's answer to that as well after David. Go ahead, David. So so the only so one of the things that, you know, my early legal career when I was at the largest lobbying law firm in the world in Washington, D.C., they always told me lobbyists are more important than politicians. Um, and I think it's important that to know that people want Gensler doing what they're doing until the moment he's not. But Gary Gensler is not making a single decision without people above him giving him marching orders. So I think that we're going to see. I don't believe right now there is anyone who cares that Gensler and the SEC are losing at the moment. Um, from the power struggle that's going on in D.C. If the Democrats weaken, of course he's going to get fired. Um, we've got to see in 2024 how the public and the support for candidates surrounds and swells. I do anticipate as younger voters start getting more involved, we're going to see more pro-crypto candidates on both sides of the aisle. So, no, I don't expect Gensler to survive 2024. Whether he gets fired beforehand, I don't think that's particularly important. Uh, half the world is going to disappear from government spots in roles like Gary Gensler in six months before the election. Dan, what do you think? You're in Washington. Maybe Dan's uh, So while, right, guys, well done. Ran, are you there? I want to kind of mention one last piece of news that I think is worth discussing before wrapping up for the day. Sure, Dan, uh, here, Ran, sure, yeah, here, sure. Thanks, Ran. Thanks. Always there. My um, <laughs> ass, you're always there. It's a surprise you're here. Uh, Ran, question. Um, regarding the X news, um, you covered that in your show. You, I think you, you're leaning more. It's like more of a nothing burger. But for me, it just seems they're taking pretty big steps into the… the okay, okay cool. That I misunderstood. They are positioning them. They are… They are you know, Elon, Elon's passion is to, if you look at, like, Elon's passion is this, this, this app that can, that can do anything and connect people and, and whatever else. And one of the key components in this anything app is that the fact that you have to facilitate payments. And what they're doing is they're going state by state, license by license, and they're getting all the required licenses to make them a money, a money transmitter, a currency transmitter, depending on which state the license is different. And they're going one by one. And they're getting all the required licenses to do to do what needs to be done. Now, what that means is that at some point they're going to implement payments. And when they do implement payments, chances are, if you look at the licenses that they're getting, uh, there's going to be some kind of crypto uh, uh, um, component to it. And I mean, you know, we looked at a scenario where your Twitter handle becomes your wallet. People can pay you by just sending money to at Scott Melker at Mario Norfolk. 
you can just send you, you can just send money you can tip money you can tip on spaces so it really makes sense and i think that we shouldn't discount that this could be one of the big tools for mass adoption of of crypto you know if there's someone who wants to pull it off and can pull it off it actually could be elon yeah and um i'm just trying to get our crypto town hall account so i can show that as we wrap um yeah, I think this another another question I have for you, Rand, is that the PayPal news has just it's just kind of died out. It's like we have incredible bullish news, but then it just gets forgotten. Has there been any talk about the PayPal stablecoin? No, I mean it's happening. It's happening. You know that, that I think it's called PYUSD. I think it's 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 definitely happening. How's the adoption um, though? Well, I don't, know, I don't know if it started yet. I think it's it's very much when it's happening in in development. I'm not sure if it's if it started yet. I I haven't seen it. Um, but I mean it's yeah. There's I mean it, there's a lot of good news, and I think. What you'll see is that in bear markets, well, not bear markets, but in, in boring markets, um, there's very much lots of, of, of news of building and building and building, and then you get the explosion of what it actually all means. Cool, man. All right, well, on this point, guys, uh, uh, we're trying to get the Crypto Town Hall account, but uh, we'll, we'll talk about it tomorrow. I think this is it, Scott. Anything else to add for today? It's been a pretty exciting 48 hours. Like the impact theory rule, oh, it's a settlement with impact theory just kind of disappeared. No one's talking about it anymore. Even though I thought it was going to be pretty major news, especially for the NFT ecosystem. Um, so that's, that's gone. Everything yeah. everyone's talking about. I think it will be major news. You know, I think it was just overshadowed, but I think that. Uh, the sentiment, uh, at least from everyone I'm speaking to and my general feeling, is that we're going to see the SEC go after less huge players that can afford to fight back, like the Ripples, Coinbase's Binance. But they're going to – I would be very surprised if they stopped going after the low-hanging fruit people that will settle where they can get their quote-unquote wins very easily without having to go to court and be embarrassed it's, by the court system because most people can't thing- afford to fight back. I mean, one what, thing is, dude, what NFT probably what NFT project could fight the SEC in theory? And first of all, those probably are securities. So, but but B like Yuga Labs, maybe. But can you imagine a world where the board apes settle and uh, you have to go burn all your apes and send them back? No, I think it's, it's a bit too far. I just don't see that happening, especially. Right, but I'm saying that's what happened. happened with Impact Theory, right? It was that they made thirty million dollars on the offering and now they have to destroy them. hear that silence that's fear <laughs> uh, david last question i have for you as well uh, you did you don't think that all these losses all these blue eyes on, on for the sec getting destroyed in the courts you don't think they'll change course it just it's confusing to me that you got when you said that it's just a bit surprising to me i just don't understand how they won't change course no i think i said the i, I if i did say i meant the opposite i think that they are getting their clocks clean and they're eventually going to get better at what they're doing they are going to change course, but that again goes back to who's in charge and who's in power. But they're going to keep going. They right now, and I think that goes to Mike's question to me: Do I think Gensler is going to get fired? Gensler is just a is it works for whether you call it Elizabeth Warren, whether you call it Joe Biden. He's just he's a political appointee. He's not making these decisions against the administration. This is what the administration wants. This is. But they are going to get better. They're going to stop losing. The pendulum has swung so far in the favor of these decisions at the district court level, which is fairly insignificant. It's fairly insignificant, except in our world. In our world, it is very significant. But in the rea- practical reality is th- they're going to have to change because they're losing. Losers, in or- losers have to learn from losing and become winners. So here, they're going to start doing things a little bit differently. I don't agree with Scott. 
where they're going to, I oh they always take low hanging fruit so that's not going to change but really who that's what I yeah they, sorry if I wasn't clear I was saying they're going to continue taking that low hanging fruit because it's so easy exactly but like who else is the big fish that they can go after from an exchange perspective tether you know, I, I don't you know, I'm not saying I'm not a tether futter but like a lot of people would say that tether would be the next huge entity they would go after I don't see it. I would have bet my life they were going to go after Tether five years ago, but I could tell you that all of my whistleblowers that I filed in 2014 and 2015 have all expired. So it is ridiculous yeah. to me that none of those, none of those ever happened. None of the ICO whistleblowers ever. So I am shocked. But I mean, between New York investigating uh, Tether and everything that happened. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they're legitimate. Um, maybe they won't fall into yesterday's crypto heroes, tomorrow crypto felons. I do think it's important to note, though, that all of these companies, everyone I have sued. And look, I don't think there's any lawyer in the space who has sued more crypto exchanges than I have and lost more times than I have. It's incredibly hard for me to find culpable people to help people who have been scammed in crypto. And my dad, when he wants to make me feel better, always does that Babe Ruth quote that everyone talks about Babe Ruth's 714 home runs. No one talks to the fact that he struck out like 2000 times. So I compare it to tobacco litigation. Look, I lose a lot, but we've changed the focus. We're going after people. And I do believe the SEC, uh, whether it's Gensler or not, is going to continue this path. They're going to get better. They're going to stop doing some of the broad stuff. I mean, the the ETF applications, they're going to have to give real reasons now. But this isn't going away. I think that's why I go, I fall back on the election next year really matters. Yeah, we should Babe. get Nick Carter and do a, a, a uh, sorry, go ahead, uh, Scott. I was going to say we should get Nick I'm Carter. I'm just going to rename David Babe Silver. Like uh, okay. <laughs> so we're going to get Nick Carter and do a space on Tether. Um, I think it's worth a discussion here, maybe when there's some news or FUD again around Tether. Um, and the Town Hall account, the red logo is back up on stage. So make sure everyone in the audience, just do me one small favor, do us one small favor. Go on, uh, go on your phone, check the panel. You'll see a red logo that Rand thinks is good looking. I think it's not good looking. Follow that account because we'll be hosting the show from that uh, Twitter page. We also post a lot of breaking news. So if you want to follow on page, follow that red logo and unfollow david silver um so appreciate it everyone really thanks for the for another great show it's good to have you david scott any any final words man nah, i think we're good cool we're appreciate good. it everyone see you tomorrow, right, see you tomorrow everyone bye everyone thanks